see the congressional cafeteria. This has uh, now been proven to be lousy with cockroaches. One uh, congressman says uh, the other day, he says, well, I don't know what to say about this. I'm going to write to my constituents. I got a bowl of pea soup, and by God, there was a cockroach floating in it. just feel like it tonight, cockroach floating in the pea soup. Uh, listen, uh, before we get uh, underway with the important things here tonight, uh, I uh, would like to ask a question. Rhetorical, of course. Uh, all my questions are rhetorical there. Let me get my, my equipment ready here. I'll just get, get everything warmed up. <coughs> Not bad. Works pretty good. Let's see this one. Oh, uh, uh, uh. let's try that again. Mm-hmm. Not bad for starters. Hey, listen, uh, I'm gonna ask a rhetorical question out there, and if you can uh, tell me, I'll award a brass figligi with bronze oak leaf palm. If any, hey, uh, before we get started here, a little note just came in here. It says a Los Angeles burglar who went around bragging about his income when he was in the canyon on San Quentin. Talk about how much dough he made, knocking over places like gas stations and that. Just was hit by the Internal Revenue Service. Come to say, you've made all that dough, you're going to pay income tax on it. It owes him $5,000 on, uh, you know, stuff he made on knocking over shell stations. That uh, brings up an interesting metaphysical question. If they collect that, does that make them, the government, a uh, partner in crime? It does. My God, it's really really happening everywhere you look. You just can't... Uh, here's a picture here of a lady doing the laundry, and uh, it looks like, uh, yes, someplace in Africa, Nigeria. He says, kind of slow getting your laundry done here, but it's very interesting. I could sit and watch the laundromat all day. It's a top topless laundromat there. Well, uh, you know, you, you pick it up as you see it there. Oh, uh, you don't mind if I lay a rhetorical question on you here tonight, do you, gang? Uh, what does the word... Ryman mean to any of you? Ryman, not rhyming, like somebody rhyming a poem. But Ryman, does the word Ryman mean anything to you? And to the first guy who tells me what Ryman means, we will lay a brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm for rising above the muff and the mug and the mire of listenerdom, the muck of mediocrity. Please, here we go. It's all set. Now, I'm right. I'm the cheek of there. Repeat, yeah. Your love belongs to you. That night when you're asleep, if you your tent, I'll creep, Yeah, stars above will shine. There will light our way to love. Yeah. Hold it, hold it there, hold it there. Hold it there. Everything under control here. It's after all, you know, take it up in the morning. And uh, got bad news for you, though. Real bad news. I have to lay this one on you before we get uh, started here. 
Yeah, here it is. This one is looking for real bad news. Uh, back in 1966, an eight-year-old North Miami boy carried three snails home from Hawaii. You heard about that, didn't you? Okay, that's just a lesson to you. Just a lesson to you. It's like the time... Uh, of course, I, I've uh, had that problem myself. Uh, yes, I did. I, I uh, one time... Of course, we all go through these things. Uh, you go through. You ever go through the period when you keep stuff in jars? You know, like a small crawling animal in jars. Well, I saw an ad here the other day, which is going to gladden the heart of many a mother type out there. I guess it's for uh, highly, uh, highly uh, sterile, upper middle class affluent kids. You know what you can get as a as a pet now? You can get two matched pedigreed cockroaches and you can buy them by mail and you'll never guess what they're selling them for a buck 95 a pair good god i've got a fortune under my sink of course they ain't matched and they're not pedigreed but they sure are uh, fertile i can tell you that and they're all good racing i can guarantee you they're all good racing cockroaches there's nothing like good cockroach but can you see this kid sending away for a pair of beautiful cockroaches they live in this house up on the hill. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people, they, they, they kind of grow poodles and have a Tennessee walking horse. Have you noticed nobody knows what the name uh, Ryman means? Somebody called? Not one person can tell me. That shows you how far away we have come from reality here in this eastern this eastern uh, megapolis that we live in here, this gigantic rat's nest here. You mean not one person in this area knows what the word Ryman means? Ryman, how's it spelled, Lee? Ryman, R-Y-M-A-N. Ryman, what does Ryman mean? You mean I'm the only guy here? Oh, for crying out loud, no wonder stuff keeps falling flat. I'm among a lot of dildocks. Who was it, uh... Uh, Marcel Proust had on his uh, headboard there when he finally passed into the great beyond on his, uh, his, uh, <laughs> it says, I, undone by fools and knaves. Here he lies. Of course, that's kind of egotistical, I suppose, you know, but uh, that could be a little truth. Incidentally, friends, if you've been envying those friends and neighbors of yours have been going out fishing and bringing in a full creel of fish, I'd like to point out that wandering gypsies who wandered over northern Europe back many centuries ago had to catch fish or die. And they invented gypsy fish bait oil. And all you've got to do is dip your worm in this fish bait oil and you just stand back. They'll be jumping in that rowboat. They'll be coming right after you, friends. And if you've got a loved one out there in a dark, unmarked grave tonight, and an unmarked grave because you ain't been able to afford a, a good head, good headstone... The Rockdale Peoria Monument Corporation will make available. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your love belongs to me. At night when you're asleep, into your tent, I'm gonna creep, 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 and creep the stars above will shine and we'll light our way to love, 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 through foolish land, baby, with me. 
I'm the shit, 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 come here. Oh, big, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got somebody in there who knows what rhyming is? No? Three. Three. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <clears throat> I'll, I'll just lay that on you. I'll let you know what rhyming is here. A couple of seconds as soon as we finish these little dinghies we got here to brighten your life here. For example, uh, tomorrow, let's see, Thanksgiving Day, right? And uh, if you're going to come into town here and you're casting about for a joint where you can find a good Thanksgiving meal like to suggest Les Champs, Les Champs. Or it is, as it is pronounced by the people who come in from Jersey, Les Champs. And uh, they're in midtown Manhattan. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day dinner means the whole thing. Of course, usually they're very continental over there, you know. Probably get you some uh, turkey a la Amandine. But uh, nevertheless, they have roast Vermont turkey with chestnut stuffing and the whole bit. Totally American. And it's Les Champs for a traditional Thanksgiving Day dinner. 25 East 40th Street between Park and Madison, right in the heart of the high rent district. For reservations, call LE26566. Better write it down because they're going to have a crowd there tomorrow. That's LE26566. And I'd like to point out Le Champ has free valet parking available. Zap. <laughs> There's a promise for America. Yeah, there's hope on our way. It's coming. A bright new promise just oh, for you. The future is blowing up there out over the open over the river. Chrysler Plymouth. Chrysler Plymouth. Coming yeah. through. Coming through. Yeah. You have made us first place dealers throughout yeah. all the USA. Causing Chrysler Plymouth sales, we lead the way. Yeah, they're number one. With our guys, you'll be a winner. <laughs> number one in every Boy, way. There, That's the kind of dealer America wants to. Yeah, America's play. waiting for it. Here we go. All we'll sing it together now. Chrysler Plymouth. Coming through. For a number one buy, see America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Yeah. Chrysler Plymouth coming through. And uh, one more note on them little birds. <laughs> Listen, will you fools and knaves out there quit calling up the station to find out the address on where to order your bird? It's a little silly, you know, for the radio station to be telling you where to buy a bird that flaps its wings and flies. So uh, write it down right now. It's Flying Birds. This is the address. If you don't know what we're talking about, we've 
Got this thing here. It's the craziest commercial I ever had in my whole life outside of the uh, gypsy fish bait oil, which I once had. And uh, also the beautiful Last Supper linoleum tablecloth, which was kind of nice. But <laughs> did I ever tell you about that one? But uh, if uh, if you haven't heard about these, these are wild little things that this Frenchman, whose name I will not even attempt to pronounce, Guy de Roenbeck. Anyway, he spent three years trying to invent a bird that would fly. When you wind it up, you wind it up. A little rubber band in it, and it flaps its wings, and off it goes. And it actually flies. It's an ornithopter. And it is guaranteed to fly, which is more than your uncle is. It's guaranteed to fly and will go 600 feet at whatever altitude you set the little tail to. And I suggest you don't fly this thing much during duck season. Nothing matter than a Jersey hunter that's just shot down a plastic bird, I'll tell you. But uh, nevertheless, uh, if you'd like to order one of these great little things, they're maddening. Uh, I would suggest you put a check or a money order in the mail. And don't make it out to me, for God's sakes. Make it out to Flying Birds. That's spelled flying. You know how to spell flying. Birds. B-U-R-D-S. Flying Birds. Department S. S is in whatever you want to make it in. Department S. P.O. Box 1909. 19, as they say, 1909. 1909. Post Office Box 1909. Grand Central Station. New York, New York. Where else? 10017. Okay, that's enough for the birds. And uh, I did, didn't I mention? I did not mention. This is WWVA Wheeling. No, I mean, this is uh, WOR New York. Yes, sir. And one more note here. Send your check or money order to the WOR Children Christmas Fund, Box 710, Times Square Station, New York. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, you want to know about Ryman? Three people call. Well, I want to tell you, I just got back and uh, from the, the great, uh, well, the holy city, actually. Holy city to a certain large group of people. And just uh, this past weekend, just uh, last Saturday night, I stood in line along with all the other faithful with a hushed, a, a, a hushed, feeling of, of being in the presence, and that's in a, with a capital P, being in the presence of something bigger than all of us. And I, I just, uh, I don't know quite how to start this, but uh, last Saturday night, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And Nashville, Tennessee is known all over the world for one thing, and uh, really one thing alone. And it isn't known particularly for the fact that it is the birthplace of Pat Boone. <laughs> which it is, uh, and Dinah Shore and other great cultural monuments. It is, however, the home of the Grand Ole Opry. And if you, undoubtedly, you've all heard of the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, this is a thing that's just sort of in the air all the time you hear about it. But if you've never actually been present at the at the thing itself, there's no possible way for you to conceive what it really is like. And all of Nashville is split right down the middle. It, uh, of course, this is a very common thing in places where they have a thing that is the big thing. Uh, one half of Nashville tries to pretend that the Grand Ole Opry doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, oh, forget it. And the other half of Nashville is devoted to it. And if you don't know what it is, the Grand Ole Opry really is basically, when all of uh, all of the mystique is stripped away from it, 
It's probably the most successful radio show ever done in the history of radio. In fact, I shouldn't say probably, I should say without a question, it is. And it's broadcast over a station, the big Nashville station, WSM. And uh, WSM, like many early radio stations, its call sign stands for something. Do you know what WSM stands for? Well, it, uh, I'll give you a little, uh, kind of start you off on this. Other stations have names like that. For example, WGN in Chicago. What does that stand for? World's Greatest Newspaper. Uh, you know, with the typical uh, humility of the Chicago Tribune, they simply announce that it's the world's greatest newspaper. Uh, what does WLS stand for? World's Largest Store. That's correct. At one time, yes, I know, at one time it was on top of the, the uh, Sears Roebuck building in Chicago and was owned by Sears and started by Sears, and it was called the World's Largest Store. At that time, it was just one store. And uh, people would come to WLS and see Gene Autry uh, stand around up there and plunk away at his guitar. Gene Autry and uh, the Arkansas Woodchopper. <laughs> These were all great stars on WLS. The Arkansas Wood Hezzy and the uh, Hot Shots. Did you ever hear of Uncle Ezra and Little Five Water? Well, this these were all radio shows that came out of WLS. And they had a great big radio show that was a fantastic success that came out of that station called The What? What was it called? I'll give you a clue. It was on Saturday night. Well, it was the biggest radio show in Chicago for years. It was called The Barn Dance. Saturday Night Barn Dance. And uh, one of the big stars of it, when I was a little kid, we used, to, we used to sit around and listen to it. And, man, everybody came. Millions of people came to see that show. And one of the stars of it was Gene Autry. Also on that same show was uh, George Goble, Lauren, uh, Lonesome George playing his guitar, and uh, that, was, that was part of that mystique. Now, WSM, which is in Nashville, stands for We Serve Millions, and they do. It's a gigantic station in the middle of Nashville. It, you know, 50,000 watt, like WOR, there's uh, other 50 kilowatts, but this one, ha and back in 1925, I believe it was October in 1925, one Saturday night, very innocently, they started a little show called the Grand Ole Opry, and they got a couple of folk singers, uh, you know, old uh, country singers from around there, sat down, a couple of guys sat in front of the microphone and began to sing country songs. They called it the Grand Ole Opry, and it was kind of a takeoff on the idea of an opry, you know, and they sat there and sang songs, and people called in, and it was live in those days. I mean, it's still live, but in those days, the people could call up the station, the guy sitting there plunking away at his guitar or his banjo, and uh, talk to the announcer, and he would take requests right on the air. So uh, you'd hear the announcer saying, Hey, uh, Hezzy, uh, we just got a call here from, uh, from just outside of Memphis. Man, call him here. He wants to hear the... Uh, let's see, what you, you say? He, want to, uh, he wants to hear the Battle Hymn of the Republic played on your guitar. And uh, he'd plunk it away. Well, the show has been on continuously since then. And since then, it has grown to be an unbelievable uh, phenomenon. And uh, whether you like country music or not is totally beside the point. It is genuinely an American phenomenon. As a matter of fact, Saturday night, when we pulled in there, all the time, ever, ever since I was a little kid, I heard about the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, even when I was working myself on radio stations, I used to be one of the performers on a big show that came out of WLW called 
that that particular one was called the, the Midwestern Hayride, which was a kind of a version of the Grand Ole Opry, a little more sophisticated, and uh, and it very very popular too, tremendously successful, but nothing like this uh, Grand Ole Opry. Well, I'll give you an idea of what it's like. Uh, Saturday night when we pulled into into the town, I uh, I checked into the motel. And, the, and practically the entire town is based on the Grand Ole Opry and, and all the associated things. And, and the motel, which I checked into, was Roger Miller's. Uh, you know who Roger Miller is, a folk singer, or rather country-western singer, composer. Roger Miller's King of the Road. And I want to tell you, it, it's, got, it's got the same verve, the same kind of pizzazz. Is this, you know, this whole, of course, you know, there's a lot of people. I, I, I suspect that our, our population is getting divided into two groups of people. There's the nesters and the movers. And, uh, you know, the people who love the idea, just, just can taste being on the road all the time. You know, that white line fever, you know, the great song that Del Reeves sings. I got that white line fever. That line is just coming at me all the time and I can't stop. I got that white line fever, and then poles are going by, and I just got to keep going and going and going. I got that white line fever. Well, I happen to be one of those guys. I, all my life, it's been on the road, and uh, I just, I'm never happiest uh, than when I'm on the road, someplace going. And then there's other people who hate being on the road. They just, they, they, they want to get home. This, uh, they want to be where they are. That home is very important. Well, if you check into the ro- king of the road. You know that you're you're in a place that's built on being on a road. I mean, it's just got that feel. Uh, everybody goes in and out through the place. It's got that look in the eye. You know that that mean look of a guy who's seen many diners come out of the dark and go past. Many uh, many cloverleaf intersections has seen thousands, millions of poles and trillions of miles of white line go past him. Well, I came into the, came into the city. And uh, checked in. Been into Memphis many times myself. Been through. But this is the first time I decided, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to really see this thing. By the way, I was out there for one specific reason, and that was to, we had a, a book author thing. I was invited out by the big newspaper there, the Tennessee paper there, one of the big papers. They do a lot of things on books, and they invited myself and Gay Talese, who was a friend of mine, and Shirley Ann Grau, who's a fine novelist. And the three of us uh, were called to Tennessee, called to Nashville for this big night. Well, I arrived two nights early. I, I had to see it. And so I got in there in the afternoon, checked in, and the guy from Doubleday uh, had uh, pulled a few strings, and he got me a couple of tickets to the Grand Ole Opry that night, which is very difficult to do. It, it almost impossible to do. But he swung it. And so that Saturday night, uh, they have two shows. They have one show earlier in the evening. I think that show's about something like 7 o'clock or 6.30, something like that. And it's a two-and-a-half-hour show. And then they have a, a slight break, and they have another two-and-a-half-hour show. They're back-to-back with the same performers, and they're both live. And they're both packed and so packed that there's just no way for you to understand that kind of crowd. Well, we were going to the second show, which was a 9.30 show. And I'll, I'll try to describe it to you. It was kind of a chilly night. And uh, we went out and had something to eat in this uh, fine French restaurant they had there in town, made out of an old southern home. And about 9 o'clock, the show starts at 9, about 9.30. And about 9 o'clock, we went cooling on down towards Ryman. Now, Ryman is a gigantic, old-time 
19th century red brick opera house. And it's, it's uh, in fact, had been at one time, uh, prior to its uh, current use, it had been a, a big house that evangelists use. Tremendous thing built in the 19th century. And it's an enormous brick, ancient building. And it just breathes atmosphere when you see it. It's, it's just right out of the 1880s. Big red bricks and had these tall, thin windows with the white brick, uh, uh, the white brick arc over the top of it, and ancient roof. And a tremendous building. It covers about a block, and it has these two big entrances with white pillars running up. And old. It's an ancient, old building. Don't think of it as being bright and clean and shiny. It's old, really old. And above it, it says, it just uh, the simple line. It just got the name of the place there, and that's it. And then uh, over it, it says, Grand Ole Opry. And then there's a sign underneath it. It says, Grand Ole Opry, first broadcast, October 26, 1925. And the line. The line of people went down an entire block, turned left, and went down another block. That was just one line. There were two lines. It was split into two great serpentine lines. Both of them roughly two and a half blocks long, and I mean long city blocks. And they were wide. The lines were, were great, thick, wide lines. And those people stood there silently and waited. They had dreamed all of their lives to come to Ryman. And I mean actually, literally what I say. They had dreamed all of their lives, many of them, to come to Ryman. Many of the people had heard the Grand Ole Opry since they were little kids. And now some of them were 50, 60, 70 years old. Others had, had heard Ryman since they were tiny kids and were being brought there like, uh, like little Catholic kids being brought to the Vatican. And they just lined up and stood in a silent line out there, a tremendous line. And all of them had these very precious seats, these precious tickets in their hands. No way for you to get into this place just walking up there. In fact, they told me stories that people had driven all the way out from time to time from places like Seattle, Washington, who just thought they could come and get a ticket. And, of course, forget it. They came all the way with their kids and forget it. No way. It takes about three to four months after you put in your request for seats, if you're lucky, to get the tickets. Each show seats roughly four to 6,000 people, somewhere in that vicinity. A tremendous balcony, this great flat floor down there. And they have two shows. And by the way, they pay for these. They're not free tickets. The shows, uh, everybody pays for those tickets. And they wait in line. And then the street, down, down, just down the street from, from Ryman, where all these people are waiting, there's the Roy A. Cuff Record Shop. And then there's the Country Music Hall of Fame. There's the Country Music Wax Museum, where you can see Stan in there, in absolute life-size, wearing the actual suit that he wore. Gene Autry in wax. You can see standing there Roy Rogers in wax, holding his real guy. Hank Williams is standing there, done in wax, of course. And the singing brakeman. Who's the singing brakeman? Come on, little... That's right, little Jimmy Rogers, one of the great, great heroes of folk music, of country-western music, really. And he's standing there wearing his brakeman hat, wearing his little bow tie, holding his guitar. And in the country country music uh, museum, you can go in and see the, you can see the actual guitar that Hank Williams was playing just before he died. 
You can see Hank Williams' $25,000 Cadillac standing there. Absolutely. You can't touch it, but there it is. There's Minnie Pearl's hat, the hat that she wore on the first broadcast with its price tag still on it. This fantastic thing that just spreads out throughout the nation every Saturday night since 1925. As a matter of fact, the only time it's ever been canceled was the night that uh, that President uh, Kennedy was assassinated. And that, that week, that night, they canceled it for that night. It's the only time since 1925. And now it's so big that the average distance that the people come to see this show is, and they have all these statistics, the average distance is 500 miles. People come from, yeah, thousands of miles every week in buses and in planes. And some people base their entire vacation on it. They got there two weeks, and so they come, and they, they have their tickets to the show, and, and they, they base their two-week vacation. They spend their entire two weeks going around Nashville. They have a tour, by the way. It's bigger than Hollywood now. They have a tour where you can see the country music stars home. Their tour, you know, you can get that bus, and the, the guy has a little PA system. He says, and over on your right, you want to see Roy Acuff's home? Uh, built at a cost of $294,000, built in 1961. Roy Acuff is probably in the house right now. You will now uh, disembark from the bus, and you can stand on that side of the fence and take pictures of Roy Acuff's home. Just a few minutes now, we will see the home that was at one time occupied by Hank Williams. And uh, after that, we will see Jimmy Rogers' home. And in just a few moments, we will see the home that is now occupied by lovely uh, Loretta Lynn. Loretta Lynn's home will be seen on this tour, and all the other great folk. Well, the people come from thousands of miles to go, did you know all this? Well, very few people here in the East know that, and if you think radio is dead, just stand in front of Ryman. There is no television show in the world, I repeat, that includes The Tonight Show. No television show in the world that attracts the audience and that draws the people as much in person and in every other way as the Grand Ole Opry. That's pure radio. Millions of people listen to it. In fact, one night they, they were taking, uh, they, uh, they got uh, letters on one night uh, just as a, as a question. One of the performers says, I'd like to hear from every state tonight for I sing. And within five minutes, they had received phone calls at the station from all 50 states, including Hawaii and including Alaska. <laughs> it's fantastic, this scene. Well, uh, I'll, I'll describe the scene to you. All these people were standing in lines, great lines around the block when we arrived. And, and one block away, a kid was setting up his guitar. He looked like he was about 10 or 15, something like that. No, he's a little older, but I'd say he was about 12, something like that. And there was another kid with him, about 15, and this kid had a drum. And the other kid had a guitar with, a, with an amplifier on it. They set up their microphone, and they were sitting out there in the cold, singing their country-western songs with a big crowd gathered around and watching while they sang. And why, why were they doing this? Well, they were hoping that somebody from the Grand Ole Opry would hear them and give them a shot. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, they were all out there singing and playing out on the streets and guitars, and you and all the all the shops along there. I don't have to tell you that it has its own shrines too. Every night there's a place right back of Raymond uh, when the performers are up there playing and singing, of course, and between sets and when the other guys are on, they duck out the back door and go through the alley and into the back door of a very famous place. 
It's as famous to the country western world as Sardi's is to the showbiz world of Broadway. Uh, do any of you out there know the name of the place I'm talking about? If you know anything about comfort western music, you know this place. I'll award you a brass figure, Gee, if you can tell me. It's a fantastic place. And so here we are walking down the main street of Nashville. It's, it's, uh, it's Saturday night, and it's Grand Old Opry night, and the cars, millions of cars have, have come, and you can see the license plates, fantastic license plates, Arkansas, Florida, Maine, Georgia. They come from every state. This is not just a Midwestern thing, so don't think that. Thousands of people come from New York State and Pennsylvania. And they come down from places like Ottawa and places all up through Winnipeg and Canada. Oh, yeah, they just come from everywhere. You can just see them lined up. Well, all along the street are record shops and all kinds of places like Tex, Tex Ritter's Hamburger Bun and, and Pork Chop Joint. All these names got, are on these places. And the big one, of course, is Roy Acuff's Record Shop. Well, we stood out in front of the place, and, and uh, across the street from us, a big souvenir, a big souvenir shop, just packed with people. And what were they buying? Well, they were buying Grand Ole Opry heart-shaped pillows, for one thing. You can buy yourself a pillow in the shape of a guitar, and it's got on it, it's a, a purple velvet pillow, and it's got Tex Ritter's autograph and sequins on it. <laughs> and you could you could buy a great big uh, a great big uh, plaque that you can hang on your wall. It's a bas relief of of uh, Grandpa Jones, and uh, it's beautiful. And as you walk around the room, the eyes follow you, and it's got actual glasses on it. You could buy yourself a set of WSM Grand Ole Opry Ryman Opera House uh, beer glasses that light up in the dark and sing folk songs when you tilt them. I mean, so thousands of people are in there buying all this. It's just great. There's a tremendous vitality in the place. Well, then, all of a sudden, it is now 9.20, and the, you can see the crowd is getting getting excited. You can just feel the, the tempo grow, because a lot of these people, you just can't understand, really, unless you, you feel that thing. A lot of these people have been waiting all their lives to do this. This has been the thing that they've been waiting uh, forever, really, and they will talk about it the rest of their lives, too, the night they actually went to the Grand Ole Opry. And they stand in very orderly lines. And then the three or four guys come out of the opera house with bullhorns. They say, all right, get your tickets, all, have your tickets in your hand. Get your tickets in your hand, folks. We will now proceed to move forward. And don't push, don't shove. And uh, those of you with reserve seats for the reserve seat section, please get on the on the left side of the line, those of you with regular and uh, balcony seats, stay on the right side of the line, and let's move forward. Get your tickets in your hand. Remember, showtime is 9.30, so let's get moving. Well, because, you know, you hear that rich, uh, deep uh, Memphis, Tennessee accent is everywhere. It's a rich, deep accent, and they start charging forward. They move in, and you can just feel this fantastic suppressed excitement. And then you're, uh, it, it's a real surprise when you get inside Ryman because it's old. It really is old. I mean, you feel the age in this place. And it's, it's very plain. You know, there, there's, it's almost, in a, in a sense, anti-show business that, that you don't sit in seats in Ryman, like theater seats. You sit in pews. Remember this? And this is a curious religious thing. See, these are pews in there. And the pews are left over from the days when Ryman used to be used for uh, for its evangelist work. And now, of course, it's in another kind of evangelist work, but it's very much a religious experience. The people come charging in. 
and all the ushers and the usherettes help them down to their seats. And and there's a tremendous balcony, an arcing curved balcony around. And you see directly ahead of you this this great huge curving stage with an enormous curtain. And on the curtain, in in, in great big sort of uh, panels like uh, uh, like huge posters of the names of the sponsors that sponsor uh, the various segments of the Grand Ole Opry. And above it, in gilt letters, it just simply says, the Grand Ole Opry. And those people come in with the same sense of awe that people come into Carnegie Hall or come into, say, uh, the Met to see the real opera. And they all take their seats. And it is now roughly 9.28, and you could just feel the excitement. And then all of a sudden, from backstage, you hear it, and the curtain is down. You hear the sound of the announcer, WSM in Nashville. He's making the station break. And then he gives a commercial. And then you hear dum da da 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 dum. You hear the sound of that fiddle start, and the people just a fantastic roar, and up goes the curtain. And standing right there in center stage is the first performer on the show for that night. And what a crowd we saw that night! I'll tell you, I don't recall. I don't even know where that that piece of paper is. Let's see, I've got them all written down at night. Well, it doesn't really matter. But the first, the first moment, though, that first instant when the curtain goes up, the crowd just sort of surges forward with a great, uh, with a great roar. You know, they did, they all lean forward. There's a great cheer, and the announcer says, "It's time now for the Grand Ole Opry." And with that, the band starts playing. All the hillbillies up there, all the all the country western guitar men, and all the the guy sitting at the upright piano starts banging away, and the crowd just goes out of its mind. And they opened up that night with George Hamilton the Fourth. He started out, and each singer, as he comes out, they all do 15 minutes. And each one, as he comes out, there's this tremendous roar. Jimmy C. Newman, and of course, the big king of them all, the minute the curtain went down and went up, and Roy Acuff stood on the stage. Acuff just comes out with just a, there's, there's the, he's the king, you know. Acuff just radiates being in charge. And the minute Roy Acuff is out on that stage, you can just see the whole, the, 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 you just feel the audience just lean forward. There's a, a kind of two-way love. Roy Acuff, Ernest Tubb, String Bean, they always have comedy because you never see. The old String Bean comes out, Barbara Mandel, Connie Smith, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, the Wilburn Brothers, and then the greatest of them all, I'll tell you, he just turned to mind, you couldn't believe it, was Grandpa Jones. <laughs> comes out, the Fruit Jar Drinkers, Marion Worth, the Stony Mountain Cloggers, a bunch of dancers come out, and, the, and this thing just rolls on and on and on and on and on for two and a half hours. It's a it's a psychedelic experience with the crowd, the people getting up and going out and getting their hot dogs and coming back. And they're sponsored in one section. They're sponsored by Beech Nut Chewing Tobacco. And they're sponsored by Kellogg Corn Flakes. And they sing their commercials live, you know. Kellogg, Kellogg Corn Flakes, yeah, I like them Kellogg. Kellogg, Kellogg, Kellogg Corn Flakes, yeah. And the whole crowd sings with them. <laughs> and they cheer. And then, then uh, in the middle of uh, in the middle of his act, just about the time the show's about to go off, after 
after all these great acts have proceeded across the stage. And they're very casual. Everybody stands up on the stage and walks around and talks to each other. The audience hands up, uh, hands up notes to them as they're singing and playing. It's just a, it's a great communion between the audience and the people. Archie Campbell, for example, has one religious moment when Campbell's singing this song about, come on, I'd like you to be my friend. I want a friend out there. People start coming forward with their babies from the kiss. And they're shaking his hands while he's singing. He's on the air, you know. They're shaking his hands. And they're long lines. He's kissing girls. And then on comes Roy Acuff. And just about near the end of the show, Roy Acuff says, Well, look, I'll see all you folks across the street at the record shop. Immediately following the show, we'll have our own show over there. And the show goes on. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it's all over. And, and the great moment in these people's lives, which they've waited for all their life, is over. And they've got their programs and they're carrying out their... their uh, their country western, uh, their uh, history books and everything else, the, all their souvenirs, and they go charging out the street. And I'll tell you this, they really get their money's worth. They really get a fantastic evening. And as they go out into the streets that night, they start driving out. You see those long lines of cars, and you can hear country western music coming from every corner where kids are standing, plucking and singing, and uh, playing and, and hollering their tunes. And the crowd after the show, which goes out at midnight, they go charging across the street, and Roy Acuff begins another show right across the street in his record shop, and everybody comes over there. And, he, and of course, these, these performers are different from other showbiz performers in that there's a, a very close personal relationship between the performer and the, you know, the people. And they walk around the streets, nobody says much. They, Dolly Parton comes in out of the dime store, and they, you know, it's all part of the scene. At the Porter Wagner, in fact, uh, that, that morning, the next morning, I'm in this... Uh, in this uh, pancake shop, Porter Wagner's sitting down there, and he's just finished his recording thing. And uh, it just goes on and on. This fantastic uh, grand old Opry. It's, if you've never if you've never seen it, you've missed one of the great folk festivals of America. It really is. And of course, there's a lot of sadness these days because in two years they're going to tear down Ryman. They're going to build Opryland, such a tremendous big complex, and already. Uh, uh, somebody has bought all the pews, and uh, people are going to be buying these pews that actually were in the Grand Old Opry all those years to put in their houses. Each individual brick has already been spoken for. And this is one of the great folk festivals of all America, it really is. Whether you like uh, country western music or not, it's it's a genuine event. And it's kind of kind of great though to go into Tootsie's. Orchid Lounge, which is the place I was talking about. And they, the entire place is walled with record albums, all written on. This is the same booth where, where Merle Haggard sat and got mad at his agent. You look down there at that next booth, that's where Loretta Lynn had an argument with her husband. Down at that booth there, you know, Porter Wagner sat. And little Jimmy Dean came in and had himself a double bourbon. And this is it. There ain't no place else to go. That great crowd goes surging out into the night. If you think, if you really have that, that myth that so many Easterners have got, that radio is dead, you just don't know a live body friend when you see it. It's so much liver than television that just ain't no, no comparison. No comparison. It's part of the lives of the people. forget speaking of personal appearances woodbridge shopping center between five and two i'll be there this saturday this saturday afternoon new jersey yeah this is wor new york stay tuned for big lester smith and the news news